Good morning, everyone. My name is Melissa Norman. I'm the director of Children's Ministries here at Mount Calvary Church. I am also on the missions committee, which is such a blessing. So last Sunday, if you were here, um, you saw Carl Foyt and I get up, and we were so pumped. I think that's a word Carl would use. Um, We were pumped to present to you the Aroma Project. So if you weren't here last week, I just want to point you, there's a little insert in your bulletin. It gives you a little more about them. Um, the Aroma Project. It is a project we're doing to raise some money for the Schindlers, Eric and Kelly, who are missionaries in Taipei. They run a coffee ministry, and their cafe is called the Aroma Cafe. We had this really cool opportunity this week to get a live chat with them. Now, we actually pre-recorded this, so I wanted to just present to you guys. This is Eric and Kelly in Taipei, and it's a little taste of their ministry, so sit back and watch. All right. Well, good morning, guys. We are excited to have you guys join us at Mount Calvary Church this morning. Um, Everybody want to say hi, boys? Um, So we're really excited to partner with you guys in this ministry. It's been awesome to watch you guys um, follow the Lord's leading and your call there in Taiwan as we've supported partnered with you guys for many, many years. And uh, we're excited to be able to talk to you guys this morning. Um, can you maybe just start off by introducing your family to all of us? Sure. Go ahead. Look, my, my children in the <laughs> Well, this is our youngest. This is Sam. Can you say hi, Sam? How old are you? Four. He's four. And what's your name? Max. How old are you? Five. Five. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm the dad. And I'm Kelly. Awesome. And Kelly, can you share just a little bit with us, uh, for those of us who don't know, about your history at Mount Calvary Church and Mount Calvary Christian School? Sure. Um, My family started attending Mount Calvary when I was seven, so um, very young. And so I grew up going to the church there. Um, And then I also uh, went to Mount Calvary Christian School from kindergarten all the way through high school. So graduated from there in 2002. So have a long history with Mount Calvary, and it's always been a really special place to me. Awesome. And how many years have you guys been in Taiwan? What year did you guys move over there? Um, we came over in 2006, and we did one year with a small organization. Um, at that time, we were teaching English and working in a local church. But then in 2008, we came back as fully supported missionaries. So just so about 10 years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Hard to believe it's been 10 years already. I know. Yep. Uh, can can you tell us a little bit about the neighborhood where you guys live, where your gospel cafe is, um, and people that you're trying to reach there? Yeah, well, uh, I think in a minute we can take you outside and just show, show you uh, our street here. Um, but it's a it's a uh, our neighborhood here um, is called Wanhua in Chinese, um, and it's uh, out of the twelve administrative districts of the city. It's uh, sort of the, the lowest um, income level. Um, and so um, there's a high population density. So a lot of people packed into, you know, relatively small apartments, a lot of high rise apartment buildings, a lot because the income levels are a bit lower. So usually both parents have to work and that leaves the kids um, either they're alone at home and once they're a certain age or maybe the grandparents take care of them. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of the, uh, issues there. Um, 
yeah, drug abuse and gangs, gangs in the schools, and these things are, are prevalent, um, prostitution as well. And so um, we really wanted to, in particular, start a, a cafe in this area of the city just because um, of the huge potential that we saw for, you know, the gospel to come into this area in a really tangible, practical way. And uh, for us to have an actual, you know, location, a physical location right in the midst of this of this Wampa area, um, and to be here day in and day out, um, and sharing sharing God's love with our neighbors. And so um, the cafe has been open a bit over a year now, and um, yeah, we had lots of chances to really touch people's lives through different events and outreaches, and just through personal connections. So this is our street. It's called Dongyuan Jie. So Dongyuan Street, and here we are. And then so out here. We have the Aroma Cafe. Here's our family vehicle. <laughs> All right. And so here's kind of the front of the shop. Eric's standing here. All right, we'll take you inside. So uh, it's a pretty pretty large um, space here in the front um, and I'll take you in a little bit further this used to be a hair salon so this is a neat um, little place because a lot of times families come in and they come directly here in the back um, and the parents can enjoy a, a meal or a cup of coffee while the kids uh, they, they can uh, draw on the chalkboard here or read some books so it's a really nice nice space in a Kelly, every, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, so twice a week, Kelly um, reads a story time for, uh, <laughs> a story time for local um, moms and their kids. And it's like an English story time, and uh, it's, it's really, really popular. We might want to move on. <laughs> um, because when most people open a cafe, this would be the last, like, district of the city they would want to open a cafe in, because it's just kind of the most like look down upon these people and so that's why we're here because we want to say no you're worthy too of having a cafe like this in your neighborhood um and so yeah just trying to provide quality coffee and food but at the same time yeah being open and available to them to talk and to share our lives like why we're here and so we're asked almost daily like you know you know where are you from or why are you here or you know we saw you somewhere i don't know where but we just have opportunities all the time. And so super thankful, yeah, that God opened this door that gave us this cafe. Um, yeah, and kind of the Aroma Project is that we're hoping to be able to um, build a baking studio. Um, we really want to, you know, as being some of the only Caucasians around here, um, we want to really, in a sense, play on that kind of American style. And we want to be able to offer more American-style food and better quality things. So we're just kind of lacking right now um, in that equipment needed and the space needed. And so we're looking at having to do a lot of um, different electrical and plumbing, like reconfiguration and moving equipment, buying new equipment. But it's really for the purpose to bring more here to offer these people um, and just, yeah, to continue being a blessing to them. Yeah, and just ultimately that, you know, this cafe is not ours, it's God's. And we want it to be 
a light in this community. It's such a dark community, really. There's so many temples and idol worship happening right around us, you know, just down the street. Um, oftentimes in our street, there's, you know, idol parades that are going down with all the different statues of the different gods and stuff. And so, yeah, just really using this place. We want it to, yeah, to be a light, a place that's different, that people say, hey, Aroma Cafe, that's different than anywhere else, you know, and it's because of Jesus' love that's here. Let's go ahead and pray for them and for this opportunity that we have. God, we're so thankful for the Schindlers who moved their entire family uh, to Taiwan to pursue sharing your message with the least of these. And we pray for them this morning, God, that wherever they are, whatever they're doing, they'd be encouraged. God, that they would know today that you have called them specifically to what they're doing. And so, God, we lift up this project that we can be a small piece of their mission as we help them expand their bakery, that they might reach more people with the gospel of your son. And so, God, we pray that we would be sacrificial, that we, will, that we would pray for them and lift them up to you, God. And we pray that you would use all of this, ultimately, that your gospel would go out. And God, now as we open up your word, we pray that you would teach us according to your truth. We want to know you deeper. So God, we ask by the power of your spirit, the truth of your word would encourage us would teach us, challenge us, convict us. We want to know you better. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Good morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're thankful that you're here. Um, We are, believe it or not, starting our journey to Easter, which is crazy. It feels like a little bit far away but it's not. And so really what we're trying to do is to focus more on the approach that Christ took to the cross so that when Easter Sunday comes, we would have something to be joyful about, right? We don't want to just come to Easter Sunday without feeling the struggle of all that happened beforehand. And so we're really trying to focus on Christ. And so we're going to be singing about it. You heard the Christ-centered, cross-focused songs in worship. We're going to continue to do that, that we would be focused on the cross in preparation for the joy of Easter Sunday. We're going to be going through the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. This morning, we're going to do more of an introduction. We're not going to be meeting tonight, uh, but we'll figure something out about getting all these seven sayings in. Um, One of the biggest blessings of marriage for me has been the new family that I've become part of. Ashley's parents are like my parents. I consider them like my own parents. I love them. I care for them. I still can't call them mom and dad, though. That's still just a little weird for me. I don't know if that's if that resonates with you. Um, but I consider them like my parents. I consider Ashley's family like my family. When we were married, she had two grandmothers living. At this point, she has one grandmother that is still living, and I have really enjoyed my time with Grandma Martin. Grandma Martin 
loves to play words with friends. And so we have literally played thousand, over a thousand games of words with friends. I love beating her as much as I can. She's a really good player. And so we enjoy playing this game. Um, another thing that we enjoy doing is talking about baseball. She is a diehard Phillies fan. I am a Braves fan. And so I, I often remind her of the 14 years that we won the NL East. And she loves that. So recently, Grandma's been very sick. Um, she's been in hospice, and we've been told that she's about to pass. And a couple of weeks ago, Ashley's entire family, extended family, all the cousins, uh, one of the, the sons from in Colorado, we all came together at the hospice home that she's staying in. And we had a meal, and then we took shifts going up to see Grandma Martin. And there was a point where the cousins and all the grand, great-grandkids, all of us, filed up into this little room, and we got to spend some time with Grandma. We sang a couple of songs, one of her favorites, I'll Fly Away. The kids sang a sweet little song. And as everyone kind of piled out of the room, I purposefully stayed behind. Um, I wanted to be the last one because I had not seen Grandma. At this point, she's basically unresponsive, but I wanted to just spend a couple minutes with Grandma. And everybody left, and I got by her bed. I don't know. I'm sad. This is... (sighs) Everybody left. Had a couple minutes with Grandma, and I said... I said, don't tell, any, don't tell anybody I said this. Go Phillies. <laughs> she, she, she was startled. She, she understood me. She heard me. Um, and in a moment of clarity, she turned over and she said something to me. She said, Matt, love your wife and love your kids well. Love your, she said it a couple times, love your wife and love your kids well. And it was just a really special moment. And I went and saw her this last week and she has no more words for me. And it's just special to hear these last words, to think about these last words, to cherish these last words. And this is what we're doing on the cross. Jesus says seven things to us. In his dying breath, the six hours that he hangs on the cross, and we want to take his words, and we want to cherish them, and think about them, and wonder about them, study them. And so we're going to spend a lot of time at the cross. But before we get to the cross, I I want to just spend some time this morning taking a step back and giving some merit for a series like this. Why are we spending seven, eight weeks focused on the cross? That's a lot of time. Okay, we're focused on just a few words every single week. Why are we doing this? And as I was thinking about this series and praying about this series, this statement is kind of the direction that we're going, and I want to unpack it this morning. You could put it on the screen. It's worthwhile to pause from the routine of life, to reflect on the weight, the significance, and centrality of the cross of Christ and his resurrection. It's worthwhile to break 
to take a pause and just spend all of our energy and focus on the cross because of the weight and the significance and the centrality of the cross and the resurrection. And so it is a worthwhile thing for us to do, to spend seven, eight weeks focused on Jesus and the cross, the weight of the cross. Why are we doing this? Because the cross is weighty. When I say weighty, I mean it was, it was heavy. And a lot of times with heavy things, if you pick up something that is heavy over and over and over again, you can become familiar with the weight. When I, the summer before we got married, I worked with a landscaper. And one of the things that we would do was transplant trees. These big trees, and we would dig out the roots, and we would wrap them in burlap and put a big metal cage around the roots. We had machines help us, and then all the guys would get behind these, these trees, and we'd push them into the ground, and they were tremendously heavy. And I remember the first couple of trees that we transplanted, all of us so focused, so serious, so concerned about the weight of this tree, and how are we going to get it moved? And later in the summer, near the end of the summer, we were transplanting a tree. But by this time, this just became another duty. I mean, we were used to moving these trees. And I remember there was this big tree and we had the the machine drop it and we were rolling it up this hill, all of us. And we're laughing and we're joking. And all of a sudden we lose focus for just a minute and the tree starts to roll down the hill. And there was a deck, one of the neighbor's deck that caught this tree and was completely smashed by this tree. My wife was reading my notes here before I came up. And it says here, the tree rolled down the hill and destroyed the neighbor's neck. She said, I never heard about that. It was the deck, not the neck. A whole different story if it was the neck. But we got used to the trees, the weight of the trees. And that's what happens when we deal with heavy things. But we can't get used to the heaviness of the cross of Christ. First thing is it was cruel. Study the history of the execution of the cross, and it's fascinating. At first, the use of the cross was was saved for the worst of criminals, But as you study the history of the use of the cross with the Romans and the Greeks, you see from this very selective use of punishment become almost a normal thing. And as you study the way that it was used, it wasn't just a way of killing people. It was a cruel way to torture. One quote that stood out to me um, from Paul Winter talks about this torture with the cross. He says it represented the acme of the torturer's art, atrocious physical sufferings, length of torment, ignominy, the effect of the crowd gathered to witness the long agony of the crucified. We cannot even say that the crucified person writhed in agony, for it was impossible for him to move. Stripped of his clothing, unable to even brush away the flies which fell upon his wounded flesh, already lacerated by the preliminary scourging, exposed to the insults and curses of people who can always find some sickening pleasure in the sight of the tortures of others. The cross represented 
miserable humanity, reduced to the last degree of impotence, suffering, and degradation. The cross was cruel. It wasn't just a means of killing people. It was a cruel act of torture. It was heavy. It was painful. Next point, it was painful. The word excruciating. It's where we get the word excruciating. The word excruciating literally means pain like pain from the cross. From the Latin for crucifixion. The scourging, the spitting, the hitting, the nails. I was looking into the the road by which Jesus carried the cross. Now, we don't know exactly where this was. Now, if you were to go to Jerusalem today, they have it all um, perfectly put together. Via Deloroso. And you can walk this road that Jesus, from when he met with Pilate and was given his verdict, that you can walk the road that Jesus walked with Simon carrying the cross. When we don't exactly know where it is. But here's what we know. It was a long road. And he's carrying the beam of the cross. It was a heavy beam. Jesus suffered in pain. Now this is heavy enough, right? I mean, the cruelty and the pain that Jesus experienced makes the crucifixion heavy. But what makes it even heavier is that it was on the behalf of us. It was for you. The weight of the cross becomes so much heavier that it wasn't just some outside event, not just something that happened in history that had no connection with us, but the fact that Jesus went through the cruelty and the pain on our behalf. We don't get this concept very easily today, the the idea of someone suffering for you. Like, try thinking of an illustration like, How has someone suffered pain so that you don't have to suffer pain? Certainly with our military, we have a connection maybe with the pain that they they experience. Maybe in a much smaller scale with parenting, with our kids. I was watching a movie this weekend on Netflix called, I don't want to mess this up. It was called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Brand new movie on Netflix. Really fascinating movie about Malawi in the early 2000s. This family that are farmers. And in the early 2000s in Malawi, there was this this devastating drought. And the, the story is about this family and how they as farmers survived this drought. Now, if it was just the drought, as you're watching this movie, this family could have survived, even though... They were living on hardly anything. Had it not been for the corruption and the politics, for the greed of the other people in this little village, this family would have been fine. But because of that corruption and because of things that were stolen, this family of two little kids, three little kids, are left with nothing, absolutely nothing. And there was a scene in the movie where at the dinner table, they look around and this was a question that they, the parents asked. They said, We can eat one meal a day. What meal do you want to eat? And then the following scene is that they're sitting outside with nothing. And they're passing around a little bowl of nothing. And they're taking bites and they're sharing it for their meal. 
and you see it get to the father, and the father chooses not to eat the food so that his infant daughter can eat the food. That's the picture of someone suffering on our behalf, on your behalf. And it takes event that is just a sad, awful event to, this was done for me. That is weighty. Not only is it heavy, but it's significant. The cross is significant. Jesus' death and resurrection are the foundation for everything we believe. If there was no death on the cross, and if there was no resurrection, everything else we believe and we stand on would crumble. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, I don't, is it, yeah, it's right there. Jesus says, says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. A.K.A., you're wasting your time in church today. Like, if there is no resurrection and there is no death on the cross, then we are literally wasting time by being here this morning. That's how significant these events are. Paul tells us that the cross and his resurrection are the most important things. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, For I delivered to you as a first important importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. This is the most important thing I'm telling you. That's what Paul says. Don't forget this. It's like when you go to the airport... What, and you're going to be taking a flight. What's the most important thing? Don't forget what? That's not a good illustration, I guess. Don't forget what? Your license. You need your license. If you forget your license, you're in trouble. I've learned this one the hard way. When you're parking around town here in Elizabethtown, what's the most important thing you have handy if you're parking in town? A dime. That's interesting. I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> Paul was solely focused on the cross. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't get distracted on anything else. This is the most significant event in what we stand on and believe. The crucifixion and the resurrection. And Paul says, it's the only thing I know. There are other ways that I could present this message. The rhetoric of the day, the persuasion tactics of the day. And he says, no, I'm going to focus on Christ crucified. That is all I'm going to know. This event, these events are significant. They're also central. It's the core of what we believe. The the next blank there, the apex of Jesus' life and ministry is found at the cross. Next, Next line there, from the beginning, Jesus knew that his purpose of his life would be realized at the cross. Almost from the beginning, Jesus starts talking about the cross. Almost from the very beginning. Now, the people, at first there was a a bit of secrecy to it, 
But in Mark 8, we get this first prediction that Jesus gives and says, hey, I'm here to die. I'm going to read Mark 8, 31 through 33. I don't know if it's on the screen. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus started talking about the cross at the very beginning making allusions to the cross, and they didn't see it coming. I like the word plainly there. Jesus spoke really clearly. I am going to die on the cross, and three days later, I'm going to rise again. But this had to be a secret, because their expectations were different, right? They were expecting a different kind of Messiah. They were expecting a king to rule. But Jesus is saying, I'm not coming to rule. I'm coming to serve and to die. And they didn't get it. But two other times after this in Mark 8 and other places in the Gospels, we see Jesus saying very clearly, the purpose of my life, the apex, what everything else is going to, is the cross. That's what it all leads to, the cross. And he tells them over and over and over again, this is where he's headed. There's at least eight other allusions to this in the Gospels. This, this idea that Jesus tells them, this is why I'm here. And every time they don't, they don't get it. If you look at the book of John, John does it differently. Okay, so the gospel of John shares this kind of purpose-focused, purpose-centered, crossed message that he was saying. He does it differently. Jesus knew that his life was leading up to the hour. In quotes, the hour. In John, that's how, that's how John does it. He says, Jesus just talks about it as this is the hour, the last hour, the very hour that I was called for. And when he says the hour, the disciples just don't, they don't, they're not registering. Like, what, what are you talking about? Is that next hour? Like next week? No, the hour that I am here is the cross. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Much earlier that in John 2, the wedding, Jesus said, My hour is not yet come. Like, you want me to do these things. It's not my hour. My hour is coming, and it's going to be at Calvary. It's weighty, it's significant, and it's central. It's the central piece of the Gospels. And we can't afford for it to just become something else that we think about. Just something else that we talk about. As I was thinking about how it's so easy for things that are weighty and significant and central, that we're always around, that it just becomes commonplace. And as I was reading about the road from from Pilate to, to Calvary, something struck me that is a specific challenge for, for us here, that our very name, Mount Calvary, lends us to just get kind of okay with this event, to become just, just 
familiar with this event. It's our name, Mount Calvary. Something we talk about all the time, Mount Calvary. The word Golgotha, which is in most of our translations, maybe not in yours, is the Latin word was Calvary. And so many translations from the Latin, the King James Version, will take it, take Golgotha and say Calvary. Many will say Mount Calvary, that Jesus was headed toward Mount Calvary. And we can't afford to just be okay with it. It's worthwhile to pause from the routine of life, to reflect on, think deeper about the cross and how important it is to everything that we stand on and believe. This coming Wednesday for many, many millions of Christians will be the beginning of what is called Ash Wednesday. Both Catholic and evangelical will start the celebration of what is historically being called Lent. And so from this, what will happen this Wednesday, millions of Christians will start by fasting for 40 days. In following the footsteps of Jesus in the wilderness who fasted for 40 days, all the way up to Easter Sunday. And the week before Easter Sunday, many churches will celebrate what's called the Holy Week with his procession into Jerusalem, with the Passover meal, with Good Friday, then Easter Sunday. Now, for many of you, when you think of Lent or you think of celebrating Lent, you, it depends on what kind of background you come that will affect kind of how you think about it. So if you grew up in an evangelical tradition or maybe a, just a tradition that didn't celebrate Lent, you probably are thinking, well, when I think of Lent, it's a little weird. It's, you know, they put some ash on their forehead. It's a little, it's, they're fasting from certain foods. You don't, maybe don't quite understand it. Maybe if you grew up celebrating Lent or fasting um, or these 40 days, you grew up in a liturgical tradition, maybe you view it as um, this lifeless ritual that's unbiblical and unneeded. I'm not sure where you fall. I did not grow up in a tradition that practiced fasting. I had no idea about Ash Wednesday. I had no idea about any of these traditions of the church. But regardless of where you come from, um, I'm hoping for something different. Okay, I'm hoping, forget all the traditions, forget all the, the, whatever you bring to the table when you think about Lent. What I'm hoping is this, is that we can pause and reflect on the weight, the significance, and the centrality of cross, of the Christ. I want us to slow down and to really reflect. How are we going to do that? Two things, fasting and prayer. So let's talk about that. We have more comforts, more privileges, more services, more freedom, more resources than ever before in the history of the world. We have comforts everywhere. If you want a shower curtain, you can have it. With a click of a button, it'll be on your doorstop the next day. If you want to watch something on TV, you can pull out your phone. You can watch any show, any event, whenever you want to. And it's not a bad thing. None of these things are bad things. 
However, it's healthy to lose some of these privileges. It's healthy to lose some of these services. Why is that healthy, Matt? Why is it healthy? Because what happens is, is that we can learn to depend on or need these comforts. We can learn to just rely on them, to need them more than maybe we thought we would when we started enjoying it. I think of the church of Laodicea. One little phrase that stood out to me this last week. As Jesus is offering his rebuke of this church, listen to what he says. He says in 317 of Revelation, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. So he's saying, this is what you're saying, church, about yourself. I'm rich, I have money, I don't... don't." Then he says, I need nothing, not realizing you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They're saying, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. Every, Every need I have, I can fulfill with what is in front of me. And Jesus says, well, that may be how you feel, but that's not, how, that's not reality. Laodicea was an interesting city, a rich city, a port city. And you, you can go to Laodicea today and see the excavations of, this, of, this, of, of the theaters and the wealth. And there was a major earthquake in Laodicea. And Rome comes in behind to say, hey, we want to help you. You have devastation in your city. And Laodicea was so comfortable in their pleasure and in their comforts that they they said, no, we don't want your help. We don't need your help. We have no needs. And what can happen is we can lean on the crutches in our life instead of leaning on Christ. John Piper has a quote about this and really encouraging or challenging to me. He says this, the greatest adversary of love to God is not the enemies, but his gifts. The most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Jesus said, some people hear the word word of God and desire of God is wakened into their hearts. But then, and this is in quotes, Luke 8, 14, as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. In another place, Jesus says in Mark 4, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The pleasures of life The desire for other things. These are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts from God. They're your basic meat and potatoes. Coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising, collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. And for us, for for what I'm encouraging you to do is to think, okay, What is the crutch that I lean on? What is that whatever it is that I lean on more than maybe I should? And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It is healthy to learn to depend on Christ when you have a need. It is healthy It's important to realize that he is 
He will fulfill our needs. He says in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Here's what he's saying. I can satisfy you. You won't be thirsty if you come and drink from me. I can satisfy you. So I want to encourage encourage you to just pray about what this could look like for you. Now, let's talk a little bit more about fasting. There's all sorts of ways that you can fast, and I'm I'm not telling you you have to. I'm saying pray about it and think about it. A partial fast is probably the most common type of fasting where you say, I'm not going to eat something that I really enjoy and depend on for this season of 40 days leading up to Easter. I'm not going to do it. And instead of drinking coffee or eating sugar or eating chocolate or eating what soda or whatever it is, I'm going to not do that even though I want to. And I'm going to pray and depend on Christ to get me through the struggle that comes from the pleasure that I get with these things. The things aren't bad. But we're saying we want to be intentional to focus on the cross because it's weighty and significant and central. And so we're going to just pause on this so that maybe we can depend a little bit more on the cross and Christ. A lot of times with a partial fast, you'll see people do it with technology. So I'm not going to text or be on social media or not going to be, I'm not going to be on my phone past this time. Whatever, there's all sorts of ways that people have partial fasts. Oftentimes, people will take a physical food and maybe some form of technology and say, I'm going to do them both. I'm going to refrain from doing something that's not inherently evil, but I do really enjoy it, and I'm going to choose to lean on Christ. Many people will do day fasts. So you, you eat dinner the night before, a small meal. You skip breakfast and lunch, and after dinner the next day, you can have a small meal. The purpose of this is to say, hey, I will find my sustenance in Christ. Obviously, or maybe it's not obvious, there are people who should not do this, right? If you're pregnant or sick or elderly and you you can't do, that's okay. There are other ways that you can learn to focus on the cross of Christ. I have fasted many times over the years and fasting is hard, Right? It's, it may be exciting to think about initially, but quickly you are faced with the challenge. Like, I've just given up something I really enjoy. And kind of the, the allure of the, what you're doing quickly wears off. And it's discomforting and it's a struggle. But you know what? That's a good thing. It is a good thing to struggle when you don't have the things you're used to having so that you can depend on Christ. But it's not just about taking something away, right? You could take away caffeine and rely on the television. You could take away a food and and rely on a relationship. Like, just taking something away does not necessarily cause you to reflect on the weight and the significance and the centrality of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, as you take away, to spend time in prayer, like Jesus in the garden, This moment of just significance for Jesus when he's struggling, realizing that the apex of his life was coming. What does he say to the disciples? Don't sleep. Now, that's what's normal. Like, that's what you want to do. It's physically like you feel tired. But he's saying this is a significant moment. What does he say? He says, watch and pray. Like, don't do something that's natural. But because it's such a significant time, stay awake and pray. That's what we're doing. We're staying awake 
and we're praying. We're not doing something that's natural to us and we're praying and we're reflecting and we're thinking. And so I want to encourage you this. Between you and God, talk to him, think about it. The only encouragement I'll give you is don't fast from something that's not significant because that's not that helpful. I'm going to fast from coffee. I don't actually drink coffee. Um, It sounds like a good thing to do. It's okay if it's challenging. It's okay if it's challenging. That's, that's the point, but I encourage you to think about it. Also, we have um, a, some books that, that I think are helpful. This is, again, not just taking something away, but spending time in prayer and in focus on the cross. And these Tim Keller devotionals are really, really helpful. I got them for $3. If you want to donate, and t- you can have one. If you don't have the $3 with you, just grab one because they'll start this Wednesday. Also, if you want to just read it on your Bible app, the Bible app also has these devotions on there. Whatever you do, you have a couple of days to pray and to reflect and say, God, what do you want me to do? I want to focus on you because it is the most significant event in everything I believe. And so for this season, God, I want to focus on you and ask him. May he lead us to a deeper worship of who he is because of what we're doing for him. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy, you are worthy of struggle and challenges because you came for us. God, I pray that we would pause from the routine of life to let go of things we depend on so that we would learn to depend on more on you and the truth that's found at Calvary. Lead us to where you want us to go, and may we learn to depend on you only. You're worthy of that, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.